The Overview is a production of Chaman V TV. Find out more about the show at chamanv.tv. What's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 93 of The Overview. I'm Chan Ann V. And joining me tonight, of course, is Ben Fish Sticks. What's up? Hey, Chris. Uh, we've been away for a couple weeks, and oh, so much has happened. <laughs> We're knee-deep into C- uh, stage two of Overwatch League. A huge patch hit live servers. Brigitte was launched, so we got a lot to talk about, talk about today on the show. Absolutely. I'm just ready to protect people right now. <laughs> That's what I'm ready to do. So ZP has elevated himself from Doomfist to Brigitte now. So uh, I'm glad you're able to make it, even though we can't see your mug tonight, ZP. Yeah, I'm still in a uh, process of getting all my crap together, PC setup-wise. So yeah, uh, right now I, I was going to sell for Doomfist, but if I can be armored up and heal people all the same, uh, let's do it. <laughs> You got a shield now too. A nice, nice looking shield. Well, guys, yeah, it's been a couple weeks. I think it's been actually over a couple weeks. And um, you know, like Ben said, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got a patch that's actually already live out on the production servers with the whole you know Sombra and all those changes. And then we've got a new character, Brigitte, on PTR. Lots of uh, play that's been going on there, trying her out. Some even tweaks to her already. Uh, and then we've got, of course, OWL going on with uh, Stage 2. Uh, and then some Contender news, of course, with ZP. Um, you know, going to be going to be doing some cool stuff, maybe, there. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then at the end, we'll have some uh, Q&A. At, uh, for all, any folks that have a question for us, you guys can email us at theoverview at chamanv.tv. Or um, maybe we'll take some questions in chat if we have some time at the end. Okay, well, um, Ben, I know you've been playing a lot. Uh, ZP, have you been playing? Got, gotten a chance to play out on the live production servers or ladder at all? Uh, I haven't got a chance to play uh, too much. I mean, I did get a chance to test out Brigitte a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, I've gotten a chance to watch a bunch of Tier 2 scrims with uh, the new changes, particularly where you are seeing mm-hmm. uh, more Sombra, where it's actually interesting, by the way. The general gut feel is, holy crap, you're going to be seeing Sombra everywhere. Right now, uh, at the pro level, it's definitely a case where uh, you definitely see her more, and she's more viable. Uh, in the words of one player I was talking to, definitely more annoying. But she's also not being run in every single comp. So people going, oh, you're just going to see Sombra and everything now, not necessarily going to be the case. Okay, yeah. Ben, what have you been seeing so far, at least on ladder? Uh, Sombra is super strong in certain <laughs> situations. Not at all situations. Uh, but it's kind of funny, because you'd think she's going to be viable in like all all kinds of new situations, but I've found her to be most annoying to play against on the same maps that she was used before on two CP primarily for, for whatever reason, it seems like being able to open up a fight with a hack uh, on those maps is really, really important and even more, uh, you know, viable than most other maps. Uh, But man, I just gotta say, man, the meta just feels so much better right now Uh, as somebody that, Play, has played a lot of Lucio in previous seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I actually don't mind playing support now because I can go Moira, I can go Lucio. Yeah. Um, you know, my Zen's not that good, but just there's so much more flexibility on the support front, and people will still trash talk you if you pick Ana. But like, she's actually viable in certain situations, uh, at least a lot more more so viable to pick her 
now than it was when Mercy was so damn OP. Uh, So, man, I'm loving the current meta. I think you're going to see a little bit more uh, relaxation towards people picking Ana to a degree. I mean, just from what I've been seeing behind the scenes uh, on uh, the new patch, uh, certainly you're going to be seeing Ana get played more and more, particularly at the contenders level. I mean, the basic thing is that people are mixing in Ana anytime you can do longer range with Ana and get away with it. I mean, you're seeing an OWL to a degree as well. So, I mean, there is this uh, support flexibility. I'd say the biggest thing that you're seeing here is that... Um, I think a lot of people, uh, as always, and uh, you know, overreact to immediate changes. And I thought, oh, you're going to have Moira, and everyone's just going to run quad tank. It's like, no, <laughs> not really. Uh, uh, rumors of our demise to quad tank uh, certainly have been exaggerated. Not even really seeing that much triple tank, uh, depending on the team. So uh, I'm kind of glad that we've hit the point where people are moving away from this idea that's going to be super, super tank dominate again, which. Doesn't really seem to be the case. If anything, as Ben is alluding to, it's just that it's a very diverse support meta right now. So, you know, with the different supports right now, and it's really cool, right? Like, it seems like the more and more supports after nerfing Mercy, it seems like the more and more diverse it gets, you know, which is really hard to do. You know, like when you actually add more choices, it's usually, you know, a lot tougher. But um, what do you have any maps that are just like completely associated with a certain character? Kind of like you were saying with Sombra, right? Two CPs, right? Sombra's been played on two CPs even before all these changes. And she just seems to be associated, you know, with the Volskaya's and, you know, the maps like that. Uh, Anything you see with like Moira from that standpoint? I mean, is there any, you know, is it like um, Junkertown or is anything like that where it's just like Moira's just being played a ton and she's just the support to go there? Well, closed-in areas, right? I mm-hmm. mean, anytime your team's going to be clumping together, Moira's inherently going to get more value. Uh, you know, Lee Zhang on Control Center, uh, Zhang, King's okay. Row, mm-hmm. uh, anything that's kind of funneling people in. Uh, maps that are not as good for her would be situations that, that include high verticality or just high spreading out. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I probably would not expect to see her too much uh, uh, as time goes on in something like Hollywood Second, where it's, like, really spread out and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you have fights taking place all over the place. Uh, basically, Moira enjoys it when people are up close and personal, doesn't really enjoy it when things are more spread out, uh, which is why when you look to say like a watch point Gibraltar first point defense, you're way more likely to see an Ana over a Moira. So mm-hmm. we are kind of hitting the point where people do take in consideration, hey, what's the range? Where are people actually going to be fighting? Are we more clumped? Is it more split? Mm-hmm. So on and so forth when choosing a support, which is undoubtedly a healthy thing for the game. Is that going to make yeah, it harder I mean, for the teams? Well, I hear myself and somebody's speaker. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think, uh, like, well, obviously, we still have the rest of this stage a couple more weeks but before we do get onto this next patch. Uh, but I'm really, really curious to see where things go in OWL once the Sombra patch hits mm-hmm. in particular. Um, because she's super strong now. She changes a lot of things, but she, she's viable in so many more situations than she used to be. Uh, so for those of you that are tuning in uh, just now, maybe you're listening on uh, on the podcast, you don't have the visuals up, just to run through some of these changes really quickly for you. her The big difference here is that her machine pistol ha- is 10% accurate, which 10% more accurate, which means... Uh, she's actually viable in so many sit- more situations. It doesn't sound like a ton, but it really, really is significant. Of course, she's also ha- had a very substantial change into her ultimate. You can no longer build ultimate charge when your friendly uh, players pick up those hacked health packs. So 
if you're thinking about the old Sombra, you're thinking that's a huge nerf because EMP was pretty much why you picked Sombra. Stack people on the packs, try to just spam healing through those packs, get EMP. While EMP is less frequent now, hacking is much more frequent because the hack time it takes to get it off was reduced down to 0.65 seconds. It was reduced by, I think, a factor of 25% or something like that, which is also insanely significant. So now Sombras can be sneaky. They can be on the flank. They can pull off a flak, a hack at pretty much any time. You can hack right out of being invisible, and it just completely changes the game. Now, her hack itself is also better. So <laughs> uh, characters like Genji can no longer wall climb. Farah can no longer use her hover jets. So all of a sudden, she goes from viable in certain niche situations to viable in just a ton of situations. Like even Pharaoh Mercy, she has better accuracy, so she can actually shoot the Pharaoh Mercy. Mm -hmm. But I, I would wager on maps that don't have uh, like an infinitely high uh, uh, ceiling, you're going to just be able to throw your translocator up and hack that Pharaoh right out of the air. And she's just going to fall to the ground. Like uh, So it's actually huge. More than anything else, I would say is that I think one thing the changes have done where you, you already see teams doing it before uh, it's even thrown out there realistically, but um, it, it makes her more viable to be run as more of a hybrid situation where uh, the meta definitely kind of hit a point where you would run Sombra in uh, replacement of another support rather than uh, running like two supports on Sombra now because her actual combat power is better uh, when not considering her ultimate, you can kind of play around with that a little bit more. We'll see where she actually ends up uh, in the end, though, because, uh, again, it's sort of a situation where she, for, at least from how teams have been scrimming with her, etc., it doesn't really seem like she's in a case of, like, overpowering must-run all the time, which means that people at times might be uh, overrating just how good she is. Uh, I mean, we'll see. It very well could still evolve to the run all the time, but so far, it doesn't quite seem like she's gone to a crazy level of power, but just a little bit more versatile overall. I mean, are we still seeing timings based on her EMPs? Um, because, you know, obviously those timings aren't going to be happening quite as early and quite as frequent, uh, just given that her, her charge just doesn't happen on those ha ha hacked health packs anymore. So um, are, are we still seeing that type of team comp, you know, or team strategies you know, basically waiting until it's a team fight until she she builds up enough EMP. Well, I, I mean, you don't need to wait anymore because she mm -hmm. can get that first hack off and just open things up. Right? right, that's what I mean. Like, so it it's just not quite as important anymore, or at least not as like build around your entire you know like strategy around that that one opening. I mean, honestly, so people are already playing Sombra to a degree of like being highly aggressive before when they didn't really need to uh, mm -hmm. when they had EMP up. But actually, I don't think that much has really changed. It's just you're going to have players that are much more aggressive to a degree. I mean, they're already aggressive to begin with, but having more success with that aggression when trying to pick off like a Zenyatta or something, which still even happens before Sombra gets uh, some of the buffs she's going to get here. So mm -hmm. I just expect a little bit more aggression, really. Mm, okay. It's almost like having two traders potentially. The way she she's going to be able to to kind of coordinate or attack backlines, right? And and the accuracy is just like so good. Um, Opportunist, you know, anything else about her that that's really stands out to you guys? I mean, the hacks obviously the the biggest thing, and then you just mentioned the pistol too, which I didn't really realize was that that big of a deal. Um, Translocator opportunists. Have you guys noticed much with those uh, buffs? 
I, I mean, I mean just, the fact that the translocator lasts a lot longer, I think you're you're kind of right that the tracer now on the tracer analogy, because a good Sombra already always had her translocator up, never really hard engaged without a translator locator. And now she's just gonna be able to be around for even longer, five seconds longer, huge, huge amount of time before needing to translocate. So mm -hmm. she's gonna be able to get out a lot better. Well, also, she's going to have more data in general where, you know, if people get splashed and not immediately healed up, you know, maybe she gets slightly better positioning just from extra information. Information is always uh, easy to underwrite, but hey, you see someone uh, through walls, uh, you know, it's not, or sorry, it's not really that big of a deal, but it's actually, uh, you don't see her through hells or walls uh, until it's under 50%, but you mm -hmm. do see uh, health bars, so yeah. slight buffs. Yeah. Okay, well, um, let's see. Some of the other buffs, right, which is uh, May and Doomfist. Have, we, have you been seeing much May on ladder? I mean, this this uh, this change was supposed... You know, it's actually kind of significant, right? Just the freeze duration increases from one to one and a half seconds. I mean, that that's actually a, kind of a big deal at, at times, at, at least when you're talking about, you know, just real tenuous moments where slow is a big deal. And then... Um, the alternate the alternate fire is the ammo's actually been decreased, so that that's a pretty big deal too. So um, I don't th know if it's I mean has the has the meta really changed to the fact that where meta or where May is used a lot more? I don't know ZP. Have you seen it in the scrims you're watching? Not really. Yeah, uh, not, really. Not, not really any different from when you would use May before. Now, not saying the potential isn't there, but I just haven't been seeing May uh, come out all that frequently so yeah. even though she has been buffed uh, so far it hasn't really caught on with uh, the players that are playing on the new patch so the one, the one I mean, thing i'll I say in theory it should actually help yeah. a reasonable amount and bear in mind all of these changes here whether it be sombra may uh brigitte getting added in etc the entire like this is all part of a grander scheme to go no stop diving you like, yeah stop, stop <laughs> that's dying. true that's true all of this is sort of based around that essentially where it's like coming out from many many different angles so uh, presumably the end goal is that you don't see uh you know the the class accommodation of like winston diva tracer genji as often as you still do mm -hmm. yeah so i haven't seen may in my ranked games yet uh, and take those with a grain of salt but in ffa she's kind of <laughs> terrifying right now because the, the this really? change i actually misunderstood i misunderstood the change at first i mm -hmm. thought it was when you when may successfully freezes no. somebody into an icicle and they can't move it's uh, 1.5 seconds from one when i learned that that was not the case it's instead how long the slow duration mm -hmm. lasts mm -hmm. when you when so basically let me, let me put it this way. If if May touches someone with his with her endothermic blaster for even a split second, they are slow for 1.5 seconds versus one second. What it also means is that if you're able to freeze for a split second, but then like, you know, they dodge you or or like, you know, a Winston jumps in your way and, you, and your freeze stops for just a split second, you can pick it up again and pick it up where you left off, if that makes sense. I'm not explaining this. Oh, well. I know what you but mean. What like, yeah, means. yeah, yeah. There's a yeah. freeze meter kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, and uh, since, since you're in that frozen state longer, it allows you to actually get the successful freeze much, much, much more easily. So basically what I've found so far is that if you get in May's range, you will almost certainly be frozen, um, <laughs> at least in these 1v1 <laughs> situations. Um, you, 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 you can almost not avoid it at all. Uh, so 
will Stay that make away a difference <laughs> when yeah. it's six versus six? Probably not. But in one v one situations, she's kind of a monster. I think. Okay, that's an interesting way to look at it. I didn't really think of it from an FFA standpoint. Um, I've, I feel like May's been just in a weird spot in terms of um, you know the the whole you know six v six and and ladder and competitive right now. And I feel like they've been trying to figure her out too. You know and I I don't is there a scenario where you can think that she'd be good right now? You know, is, is there some type of map or comp where she's really really close to being viable in y'all's opinion? Maybe defensive, some kind of defensive comp. I mean, for May it just kind of depends on uh if people feel they need that extra power to stop dive or if uh, just in terms of DM ability it would be better over other options. I mean, part of the issue, right, with uh, certain things that oh, we're we're looking to deal with another tracer. Well, for many teams, if you have someone that's really good in the role, you sort of have the option of, well, we will have our tracer kill their tracer and then keep mm -hmm. all the benefits of having a tracer, right? So, I don't know. We'll see. I, mm -hmm. Usually the way it goes in the, the pro side of things is that someone has to just completely wreck a team using a hero after the hero's been changed in a beneficial way, mm -hmm. and then they go, oh, okay, we'll consider this now. It is clearly better, but... <laughs> we haven't really hit that point yet. Yeah, yeah. All right, and then just a minor change to Doomfist here. Just hand cannon. Their cover rate it was decreased. Um, I'm waiting for the time. I mean, we're seeing a little bit more of Doomfist. I would say just a tiny bit more, at least in in uh, the league. Are we seeing any on ladder? Are we seeing a bunch on ladder right now, Doomfist? Um, slightly more. I don't think this okay. is enough to make Doomfist like a super strong pick in an a ton of different situations, but he was already on the cusp of being uh, viable, um, you know, in, in many situations beforehand. This only helps. Um, I personally think within the next couple of months, we're going to start to see some Doomfist special specialists emerge in OWL yeah. that are going to give teams a nightmare. I mean, uh, yeah, Doomfist is, is going to be viable for sure. I, he already is. He already was before this, and, and this just uh, inches him ever closer. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that is Sombra, right? And um, now let's talk about PTR patch, which is Brigitta. And Brigitta is the new support character or support hero that uh, they added. And it was all these rumors, or it was leaked, right? <laughs> Maybe a day or two before. And um, sure enough, it came out like very soon after. And we're talking about a very different type of support. We're talking about a support that the first support that actually has a shield, an actual physical shield like Reinhardt. She's kind of Reinhardt's counterpart, or at least a you know a cohort, you know, in in terms of supporting him in his travels. So it kind of makes sense. She's also the daughter of Torbjorn. Just if you want to know all the lore and all that good stuff, so she's like this mini Reinhardt, but then she has this whole other aspect of her that's support. So let's talk about our abilities, uh, and then we'll just kind of go through it. So we've got um, the rocket flail. That's like the her. It's like a whip, basically. <laughs> she like she swings. Imagine Reinhardt's mini hammer. Reinhardt hammer. Yeah, it it's, is it's, uh, for all intents it, and purposes mini Reinhardt hammer. Just okay. less damage, less range, etc. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's an actual hammer. There's a tiny bit of range to it. it. Doesn't look like it, but there is, it does stretch a little bit and hits hits uh, out there. And then there's a repair pack, which uh, she actually throws a repair pack. Points at, at an ally and just heals them instantly. Uh, with the excess actually going to armor, which is nice. You know, you'll never you'll never um, under uh, heal or, or not efficiently heal there. And then a whip shot, and this is like 
kind of it looks like a pool, but it's actually the opposite. It pushes them out, does a good a good amount of damage. Um, and then she has her shield, which is exactly like the Reinhardt shield. You can bring it up, you know, the just same way. And then the well, shield. It's important to note, yeah. real quick, before we get too far from it, uh, sure. on whip shot. It is also basically her main way of essentially healing, right? Where um, when people aren't in melee range, because it's her longest range attack and it can trigger her uh, passive inspire. So there's a bit really big intention. Uh, or sorry, there's a very big. Uh, what am I trying to say here? Very big tension between whether or not you want to use it uh, just on cooldown to continually trigger healing or whether or not you want to save it because you know a Genji is coming in with like a dragon blade or something and you want to use him to knock back. So the tension for her in using her whip shot is going to be pretty vital to her gameplay because it's also a big part of her skill ceiling because if you are using a cooldown to trigger healing and then you whiff, then suddenly uh, your entire team is missing out on close to 100 healing, which is a fairly significant deal. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and then, oh, yeah, continuing on, Shield Bash, uh, which this is kind of like her mobility, uh, 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 mobility ability. <laughs> and so once her uh, shield shield's actually deployed, she can actually dash forward and, and, you know, like basically bash into the enemy and stun him. And then the last thing is her ultimate, which is, uh, she's kind of like a moving shield generator. <laughs> like, I, I think that's the best way to... To kind of describe her, like she moves faster if she's near enemies, they 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 armor up, and um and and you know she's just basically you she, she wants to be like basically amongst all of her teammates, you know, whenever she's doing her ultimate. Uh, so okay, well let's talk about you mentioned the uh, whip shot. Obviously, is a, a very important um you know ability. It's kind of a decision making ability, which is always good, I think, uh, for especially support heroes to have. But um, what do you think about her uh, meleeing ability? What, what do you think about just her damage output in terms of a support hero? Well, so she's close range. She's a very close range hero. And she's tanky, right? She's okay. got 258. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait, 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 wait. The chocolate rain thing happened again, here. dude. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to ask that you restart your Discord and like, turn back time. <laughs> Did this know. happen again? Or again? <laughs> no. All right, hold on. Hello. <laughs> okay. I've been going very I'll be oh, back. Yeah. I'm just going to restart. I'm be part of an old spice ad. Raid. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea why this happens, but okay. ZP, what do you think about the the meleeing abilities of Brigitte? I mean, I'm still admiring uh, Ben's uh, <laughs> old spice ad, but um, uh, okay, melee ability. I mean. Look, the entire point is very clearly do not get close to this hero. Mm -hmm. If you do, make sure you have a plan because we have given her enormous healing potential. If you get close, we have given her high CC and stun. If you get close, the entire point is fight this hero at range. Otherwise, mm -hmm. she will be disproportionately effective, period. <laughs> yeah, like, that's, a, that's a good way to sum it up right there. Yeah. It, it, I would also note that um, Whipshot uh, also has like the side effect where it'll like ground a Winston on Leapin, so it might be like one of the biggest incentives to not run a Winston in the game right now. Where if you think about it, Winston, has basically been sort of universal in many many compositions, regardless of map, etc. You know, just because of his ability to engage wherever on a vertical level to 
easily uh, get out of bad situations, uh, plenty of good damage as well. So, you know, Brigitte might be the one thing where you go, oh, we're going up against a team that is, you know, partially carried by an excellent Winston player. Maybe we're going to run a Brigitte to at least make them swap up and they go something hmm. they're less comfortable with, right? So yeah. I would say more so than other heroes in the game, Brigitte is one that's sort of trying to bring things back to the original Overwatch vision of, you're running this, let us swap. It's not quite to the level of being a hard counter, though, which would be bad, but it's to the point where you're still highly encouraging teams to not run super hard dive regardless of what the situation is against her, which is the idea. Oh, you're muted, Ben. <laughs> okay, I think Ben's still having some sound issues here. Yeah, just chime in whenever I guess you get it figured out. Um, yeah, so your point about like not can you can basically only deal with her from a long range is, is really interesting because that's why they gave her a shield, too. So does she, well, does it, she, I mean, she can protect herself at least, right? Um, she can't obviously damage somebody that far, that, that far check, away. She can check, protect check, herself, yeah. but mm -hmm. the shield also goes away really quickly. I mean, think about how much damage it takes just from casual poke when brought up to the scale of six people. Check, Brigitte's check, check. shield yep, is more, you, it's more okay. of an emergency measure rather than uh, this is going to protect her consistently from long range poke, right? Particularly mm -hmm. if she's not able to hit anyone to trigger her healing, she's actually going to be in a fairly rough state. It's just last minute protection. Cool. Well, I guess I guess <laughs> I'm back now. I, I don't I don't understand what happened, but it's all good. Um, I think one of the the interesting things about Brigitte and ZP already touched on this, but she's equally pro. Reinhardt comps and like non-dive comps as she is anti-dive comps. Uh, it really seems like Blizzard is making a concerted effort to try to address the fact the meta has been so uh, dominated by dive comps for what, six months? A year now? Basically we've been running dive comps 80-90% of the time for basically the last year of competitive Overwatch. Uh, so it seems like she's designed both to be able to counter dive comps and that you can knock away a, a Winston with her whip shot. If a tracer is within range, you can shield bash her. Uh, they patched out the uh, one shot kill. So you can no longer shield bash into kill. <laughs> yeah, that's, combo that was brutal. hundred yeah. percent, but you can still shield bash her away and your teammates can finish, finish off the kill. So she's good against the core parts of dive. And then also the way that she heals is AOE, right? So it's like within mm -hmm. a, within a certain range, uh, she's healing. Also, she needs to be up close and personal to even hit people and do that healing. So, really, I can't imagine Brigitte being played in anything but mobile Reinhardt comps, where you're where you're pushing forward quickly as a team, uh, getting in the enemy's face. Then she's able to heal the whole team, also dole out damage. Uh, so, I'm so excited to see how she comes into play in, in the meta because she truly seems like she could be the character that tries to break dive comps and uh, i agree with you zp that it's not good to have a hard counter and she's not she's by no means a hard counter uh i mean she can still get dove just like any other character she has a few ways to get out of it but you know it's not like that's going to be completely you know nullifying all dive but she is just a way to potentially counter pick dive or just roll with a different strategy uh, that's it else it's, cer it's certainly something there to make te give teams pause where even if they don't change up compositions they have to approach a fight in a distinctly different manner and also mm -hmm. to allow teams to play 
viable styles that are not like, you know, we've, we've had metas that are essentially dive v dive, uh, where both teams are encouraged to sort of out dive each other and sort of rather than making something that's necessarily outright superior, give an option to wait. This is here was the last piece we needed to do something perhaps a little bit slower, but more consistent, uh, depending on the team and what you're playing with. Uh, we'll see how it pans out, but overall, I can't help but think it's a fairly positive direction for the game. Who do you guys yeah, think? Who do you think is going to be the the counterpart? You know, like literally, you, normally, right? Supports are kind of paired up, and they're you know just having a, a combination of two that that seem to work the best. Uh, who do you think is going to be that counterpart for uh, Brigitte here? Mm, that's um, a good question. Well, one of the most common things actually brought up by uh, players I've talked to is a lot of people want to explore running Brigitte with a uh, three support setup where you essentially run either like you run either like two tanks, one DPS, uh, three supports with Brigitte, or even one tank, two DPS, uh, three supports with Brigitte, depending on like how you want to flex her and how you want to move in with that. But basically, just making it really hard for people to dive in with like Genji or Tracer, but still. Uh, keeping your normal support so you have all the momentum that you would when you like say a barrier and a transcendence or you know from that end of things because one thing she does have a really rough time with is that a lot of power in a support hero is built up by having completely game-changing ultimates and rally as an ultimate is fairly no. meh it's not yeah at least yeah. on first glance it's like it seems it the power level there seems to be more of a we're setting up in between fights rather than a we use this mid-fight now please respect us. So uh, there is some merit to the idea of running her with two normal supports just so you, you're not relying on Rally as kind of this momentum ultimate, which it really isn't. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, her alt does seem to be a little bit underpowered. I was really surprised that they decided, uh, and I, I feel like this could get changed down the road, but I feel like Rally should also give a speed boost to your teammates. Like, why not? Like, come on, give give another support. It would be an ability to do give we, speed boost, please. Why do we want another support to have speed boost? Isn't speed boost super powerful? Uh, That's yeah, crazy. Powerful. That's fine. Okay. You've answered your own question. Speed boost is super powerful. Yeah. Ergo, you make Lucio disproportionately strong when you don't have any other speed boost options. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think it would be cool. And like her ultimate really does seem lackluster right now. It's like... A pretty minor boost to everyone around you. It's not not hugely significant. So yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I think Rally is not very impressive. But, I, I will uh, note about Rally, by the way, it is also another incredibly strong anti die, especially if you use it mid fight. Right, like the armor you get from it is permanent. Armor, by its very nature and how it works in Overwatch, is at its strongest when you have a short fight that takes place with one decisive engagement. What do dive comps like doing? Getting directly into the fight and not spending much time poking. What is armor really good against? Fights that you don't spend a long time poking and you get directly into the fight. So even her ultimate is a kind of kick to the nuts of your average dive comp. Yeah, I mean yeah. her E. Yeah. Even her regular E ability gives additional armor on top of HP pools. So yeah, you're totally right. Well, excited to see like uh, just her out in the wild, and it shouldn't be too long. I mean, she's she's almost been on PTR for a week now, right? Like, and I mean, in past history shows us that two weeks or so, it's fair game. It could be literally released after two weeks. So that'd be uh, dope. Well, my, I'd love to see that. Yeah, my, my general guess is that um, 
she uh, definitely won't make it in time for Contenders, obviously, so we won't be seeing her there. Contenders actually is going to be in perhaps weird uh, mini-zone where like the Sombra stuff is active, but Brigitte is not. Uh, who knows? Maybe they'll patch her in uh, mid-season or something along those lines. And then for OWL, uh, she would presumably be ready for Stage 3, which right. would be really exciting. Like I do think one cool thing about how Overwatch League does the stages is that if there's been enough change in the game in the midway through, there's always like things to look forward to with, oh, this has been buffed, this has been nerfed, uh, this has been added, mm -hmm. uh, this has been removed, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I, I kind of hope that trend continues. Like seeing an OWL stage three where suddenly Brigitte is available and mm -hmm. you have these other anti-dive changes as well, I think would be kind of neat. I think it's important, uh, especially with something as long as OWL is, because you know we could easily just get into a, a rut where it's just like the same teams are winning every single stage, right? Because it's the same exact meta and and things just aren't changing. So, yeah, I, I definitely like to see you know what we've already seen a little bit in stage from stage one to stage two, and then if, if Brigitte comes in, we'll see it like another pretty large change in, into stage three. And seeing how all these teams uh, you know adjust to it, that that is a, a measure of how good the teams are are created right now, or how how much they are uh, built. So, um, you know, I think this full season of OWL will be a, you know, a, a clear indication of, you know, which teams were the most versatile and, and were able to handle the change that we see in Overwatch, period. Forget Overwatch League. Um, okay, well, um, anything else to say about Brigitte and anything else on PTR? I mean, that, that's pretty much the only thing that's on PTR, right, that is uh, Brigitte. Well, there's one more thing, Chris. I one forget. more thing. What is that? Teammates, you can see their ultimate charge now. Oh, by yeah. pressing... oh my god. That is finally. actually pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know why it took so long, but you can finally see your teammates ultimate charge by pressing tab now on PTR. The technology has finally been built. Thank you, Blizzard. Thank you. <laughs> That's actually um, a really big deal for uh, teams. Uh, it's one of the things which is like competitive teams. No, no, no. It's actually a big deal there because your teams, even at the highest levels, are rarely working with perfect communication. What this means is that if you are the shot caller for a team and you are making more of the calls, you don't have to rely on perfect communication from players that frankly are not perfect at communication. Even some of your very best players in the game have weaknesses there, uh, depending on the team and the player. Now, the guy on your team that actually is competent in that doesn't have to wait. He can just hit tab and go, oh, you have this or you're going to have this soon and you can make much more accurate decisions with information your team has. Yeah. You have turned to a degree something that was high level and almost theoretical for many teams because I don't know if they would have hit it. It's a, something that is tangible and reliable now in terms of coordination. So it, it's a bigger change than people might give it credit for. Yeah, and I, I can. This is one of those situations where I was okay with the excuse of being like, okay, if you don't have it, it encourages communication, whatever. You can just press Z. But ultimately, this is a quality of life boost for, for everyone. Yeah, everyone. All levels. Like, it's actually huge. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I totally forgot about that one. That one is actually amazing. Um, okay, uh, let's see. Another thing I had here. Oh, rank distribution. This is kind of, I think this is a little bit dated given that we haven't done it in a while. Um, yeah, it just, it was just more of a, like, a, a I think the rank distribution, I, th I think, uh, there was a post on the rank distribution that I thought was kind of interesting. And, um, I think we all know that most of the players are in that kind of, um, silver, gold and platinum range just kind of, uh, confirms that, you know, Ben, you're in that 1%, which is pretty nice. The top 1%. <laughs> 
I'm back up there. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Let's go. <laughs> what a one percenter. <laughs> what a one yeah. percenter. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, why don't we talk about some OWL now? Um, we actually, I think we, we have first here is really the, the Twitch integration. You know, it, it launched and um, I think a lot of folks have been getting their their uh, tokens, I think, as they're watching the Overwatch League. And, you know, it's, I've been trying to remind folks, like, make sure you watch it actually on the Twitch channel and uh, not necessarily in the different viewers, embedded viewers that you can see all around because I noticed I wasn't getting any for the longest time until I was actually on the channel, but definitely have been getting it now. Have you guys gotten enough to buy a skin yet? I haven't gotten quite gotten my hundred so. yet. So I saw I saw that um, uh, Nate got his hundred. So I think if you've oh, at least they? watched, if you've at least watched all of them, you would you would get it by now. But um, I've wasted some matches on other players, unfortunately. Yeah, I yeah, think I the mean, theoretical. The I watched. I usually watch stuff off of uh, VOD, or at least like what I'll do is VOD, just because it's more time efficient when you're trying to gather everything quickly and you can skip through stuff. Unfortunately, if you go through VOD, you're not uh, getting tokens. And yeah. I'm sort of at the point of like, well, I don't need to get free tokens. I can just spend money to support the league versus the entire thing of let me they open gotcha. another tab. They totally gotcha. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I, for me, it's like, I, I'm not sure I value my $5 uh, that heavily in this case. I mean, uh, look, you're talking to the person that literally bought a nerf minigun the other day just to like hit people with the nerf miniguns so I, that's, that, that's where my uh, value and money spending is right now so if i'll spend 100 bucks on that i will gladly spend like 20 30 bucks uh on owl skins versus being drawn in by the appeal of free stuff okay um okay and it also also the uh the bits integration is in there as well so you can mm. get some cool emotes on twitch and then also everyone's unlocked a Junkrat skin uh, and a Tracer skin is coming up. Uh, but I just wanted to, I wanted to just touch on these things mainly because it's kind of reinvigorated um, viewership. And by the way, I don't want to credit the, the reinvigoration of viewership only to these things. I think the meta is better. Like there were really good storylines going into this season. The, the, the end of last season was so damn good that, but <laughs> yeah. it is important to call out because a lot of people, a lot of naysayers out there were saying, "Oh, look, Overwatch League viewership is going down." Like, whatever. It's actually way, way up again, and this helps. The meta has helped. I think the just the the quality of gameplay has helped. But we're back in the range of like 150k viewers every single play day, uh, which to me, the fact that it's sustained for what six, seven weeks now is just a really positive sign. And it, at a certain point, we're just gonna have to say it, like. Overwatch is one of the biggest esports in the it world, is. and Overwatch <laughs> yeah. League has has made it there. Careful, careful! I hear the people from Dota just already uh, plotting your demise. Hey, Amen. Yes, we, I, there, yes, we have Dota viewers watching this show right now. I <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Good luck. They already know where you live. Spoiler alert: He's in San Francisco. <laughs> CPY. <laughs> oh, wait, it's on my Twitter. Never mind. Well, doing what six or seven events a year doesn't. <laughs> really well anyways we're not gonna get into that but um yeah i mean the viewership is so i mean it's just solid and consistent enough to at this point i think we can all feel good about that feel good that you know we're we're right up there you know we're 
still not obviously in the, the above the the whole LCS or even just CS:GO range, but we are definitely in that neck of the woods, which is definitely great for uh, you know season one, especially. Yeah, the storylines have been just so awesome. I mean, that's one thing that I, I think that the players and the teams they've done a really good job at at fostering and you know being game with it. You know, people are, are not shy about trying to create storylines, and that's really really cool. And uh, you know, I, I, quite honestly, I don't think we see that quite enough in in some of the other esports. So I think Overwatch is doing an extremely good job at, at that right now. And uh, the matches kind of speak for themselves too. You know, it's not only just like drama that's outside of games. We're actually seeing some of the drama that that plays out in the competitive aspect of of the league too. And that's the most exciting when you can can see that. Uh, I would say one thing you're seeing that's pretty self evident as well. And I know that this was derided by purists have been the uh, esports scene for a while, but when you take a look at local communities and the amount of engagement people actually have with, I support this team, I identify with it. I do think that even though the road getting there was very rough, the entire idea of let's make new brands affiliated with cities uh, and you know get away from you know the more conventional esports naming uh, architecture was incredibly smart for just building loyalty over time. I do think that that has helped with retention quite a bit and much to the contrary of arguments that were made in the beginning and you can just see it when you go to a city and then do go to some sort of esports related event and you see people just strongly identify you saw it last year too when you what did things like overwatch world cup and you saw sydney just lose its goddamn mind over the australian world cup team uh, you saw it uh in the usa when you saw the reaction to the usa team so I do think the geolocation has helped, particularly when it comes to retention. And that's sort of an unsung story. And it's not a story that a lot of people really want to sing either, because I feel like the older ties you have in esports, the more likely you were to be like, I can't believe you've done this to TSM or you know, <laughs> right, whomever right. without right, right. realizing, wait, maybe the old ways weren't best. Right. Well, let me yeah. tell you a, my own little story here in terms of like this geolocation thing working. Because, you know, I hosted a, a Florida Mayhem viewing party uh, with Ben over here in um, uh, West Palm. And, you know, we had like a hundred and so people. It went fantastic. I had over a hundred people at this Buffalo Wild Wings. And, you know, we had all kinds of fun things going on. And let me tell you, man. When they, when they played the fusion, it was a rough day, okay? Like, they got their asses whooped, but the the crowd, I mean, we were, they were chanting, like, all kinds of, of stuff in support of the team, and and um, I, it was just like, oh my gosh, and I was, like, talking to my son, I'm like, imagine if they were good right now. I mean, <laughs> this would be, a, you know, this would be a crazy wild party right now. So, um, you know, it, it just kind of speaks to, it. you know, like, it, people are going to be fans of, of these these teams, you know, and no matter um, if they're good or not right now, just because they have this affiliation to just where they're located. And that's really, really uh, here's cool. Here's the test. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know if we could hypothetically do this, but my guess is the answer would be no, is that I don't think you could get that same reaction without geolocation. The best I could think of for like a well support team that like continually fails, like across a lot of its different esports would be NRG, right? Could you imagine like hosting an NRG like bar event and getting people like cheering for NRG as they got wrecked and, one of the various games they're in, probably not. No, I, I, I no, don't think no, you can do no, that. I think it's, not. It, you only get the lovable loser syndrome really with geolocation. I feel like. Yeah, and then the winners get even bigger crowds. I mean, <laughs> that's right. We, we've seen 
the Houston watch parties, the Dallas watch parties. I attended the San Francisco watch party. There was at least 300, 400 people there. Like it's happening in basically every city and basically every time. It's pretty big, uh, except for Europe. I'm sorry, Europe. Oh, there's nothing. I mean, you only have one team right now, but yeah. Has I mean, it's just late, man. It's just yeah. There's probably true. been one, but like the yeah. broadcast starts at 11 p.m. Uh, yeah, it's pretty brutal. Yeah. Time, so yeah. Yeah, no. so geolocation, uh, I just kind of wanted to go in my soapbox there. It, it really has helped the league considerably, and it's the one story that people are not talking about enough. Yeah, period. No, absolutely. And, um, you know, I'll, it's, I think these viewing parties are amazing. We're going to do more here uh, in Florida, just kind of all along, you know, I think all the way up to Orlando. So uh, be on the lookout for that. But everybody else that's, you know, been organizing them, been doing them consistently, it doesn't have to be a large party. You know, like some of these teams are having some, you know, every week that are just at these small bars and even when there's like 50 people together or whatever it's pretty awesome to see that and um you know the teams are supporting it in a big way too you know the, like ben and the mayhem were amazing like with our, our our party so i can imagine all the other teams are having um are doing a good job or at least having like a lot of support for these these organizers so um well they, they better be yeah they gotta culti- they gotta cultivate their local fans that's for the biggest thing big yeah, exactly that, that's what we have to do like we i think that's the main their main focus is building uh, these uh, eventual ticket buyers, right? <laughs> like if you don't actually have any kind of fan base when they finally do come to these cities, come back home to these cities, then, you know, I don't, I don't know where, how this works. So uh, we basically got a year or so, maybe more, who knows, to, to keep cultivating these these kind of, um, you know, grassroots or organic type of, you know, uh, following and then, um, you know, kind of keep them, keep them excited until the teams finally come back. Uh, but okay, well, why don't we talk about the actual, you know, uh, matches, how stage two looks fo- so far. Uh, we've had two weeks of stage two now. Let me kind of bring up the, um, the standings on the site doesn't really break it down, unfortunately, between the stages. I kind of liked, I like how the broadcast does that. It kind of shows you how, how they're doing just in the stages. But um, the total standings for the season, because that's what really counts in the end anyways. Uh, we're, we're, you know, you can take a look at that now. So it's pretty close at the top, to be honest. Uh, you know, we got Stoll Dynasty kind of back, you know, in contention again after having a little bit of a lull at the end of Stage 1 there. Um, and then, you know, our champion Spitfire, they've, they've had their moments. They've had some moments where, you know, they, they've faltered a little bit. But for the most part, they've been good. Valiants looked good. Outlaws have stumbled a little bit. They've had a tough, they've had a pretty rough uh, early schedule too. So, And they talked about it too. They're, they're, they're starting off the season against probably the toughest teams and then they'll they'll uh, their schedule will lighten up a little bit. And then the fusion too. Fusions have had like definitely moments of brilliance too. Um, the outlaws in particular actually have a pretty big prove it week coming up here, where you're finally getting the outlaws valiant matchup that has been awaited for a long time. And this is one of those things where you had the outlaws basically contending for top three in the league. Uh, actually, if the cards had gone their way last week, they they could have taken number one, right? Yeah, that is where they were at, but. Going into week three now, if they end up losing to LA, then you're telling a very different story where they go from you could have been number one to we're not even sure if you're number five. So uh, I think this week is incredibly important for the Outlaws. And also, I think equally important is a story that's been a little bit unsung to a degree as well is that Boston is now starting to uh, hit a turning point where it's very arguable that uh, not playing in the Mercy meta has hurt them rather heavily. Uh, you can attribute to the meta, you can attribute to the map pool, whatever you want to say here. Boston right now is teetering on a cliff where, you know, if the worst case scenario right now for the outlaws are 
shit, now you are number six. Uh, Boston could be looking into dropping into the bottom third of the league if this week doesn't go well. And I think, of course, the sort of proof it thing is that they go up against the Dragons, right? Where, you know, if you end up dropping to the Dragons, uh, obviously that would be a poor omen indeed. And then beyond that, uh, they do have a, what will certainly be a very tough matchup against London, which they're not favored in at all. But uh, Boston's in trouble. Yeah. I agree. They, they haven't looked good at all. Like at least compared it's surprising to surprising too. Yeah. I mean, uh, everyone couldn't shut up about how they were so great at dive. And in theory, this meta should be even more favorable to those teams. Really, really adept at dive. Uh, mainly just because more Lucio is in there, more Zenyatta is in there uh, instead of so much mercy. But no, it hasn't turned out that way at all. Yeah, it's it's. I don't know what it's been like. You guys have any insight into what it is? I mean, is it? It can't be just the meta, like you said. I feel like it's there's just been a drop, at least a little bit in terms of of play, because um, you know at the end of the season, Boston looked, in my opinion, equally as good as the Outlaws, and in in some cases, I think they were even preparation would might have been just even a little bit better than the Outlaws, and at least in their match. So, um, yeah, seeing this early struggles, which I think, what's their record right now in, in stage two? It's one and three. They are eight. Or, so overall, they're seven and seven, but uh, yeah, let but me I, take a look at it. I mean, if I look at the schedule, they're either one and three or they're, um, let me see. Let's see. What, what are we looking at? We're looking at, uh, yeah, the uprising. And the way they've lost, too. They've lost, um, oh, yeah, they beat the Mayhem, right? Um, and then... Yeah, so they lost four. I love how four, casual four, four. that is, by the way. It's like, oh, yeah, they beat the It's like, literally, I would say, it's like, wait, wait, wait. I can't remember when, but I don't want to say that they haven't got one. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. That may have, of course. <laughs> it's tough, like, man. Uh, it's you tough for me. I know. I did. It's, it's I know such an I afterthought did. to you. It's like, oh, yeah, Mayhem lost. It's, but, you know, it's. Poor Mayhem. Unfortunately, that's the reality it is right now. You know, like we're still rooting for the guys. We still want them, you know, to to you know see some improvement here with some of the new guys. But you know, to expect a big change with the same six guys, I mean, I think that's asking a lot. So, um, so I, I got a question from uh, from last week's results. Uh, obviously, oh, okay. the biggest match of last week was Houston versus Philly in terms of excitement and kind of intrigue oh, yeah. going into it. Uh, Houston was up two maps, and then. Philly came back and reversed, sweeped them, yeah. swept them. And I have, I have a question, which I already know the answer to. It's a rhetorical question. Does Houston have a tracer problem? As in they don't oh, have damn. they don't have an A-tier tracer. Or if they do, it's Linkser, and that pulls Linkser off, you know, get, uh, McCree. I would say, to a degree, you are touching on the issue. I would say that they have an addiction to the uh, most dire of drugs or have had one and they're trying to get off of it and they're getting the shakes junk. to a degree. Uh, it is that uh, sweet, sweet addiction to Junkrat mm -hmm. where I, I don't think Outlaws have looked great in situations where they would previously like to run a Junkrat and now can't. I think that the map pool for them is particularly bad when you have to play on something like Hollywood, which outside of point yeah. A uh, is not necessarily that Junkrat favorite. I mean, you can run on point C, but it's really point B that has been the bane of outlaws there. And why wouldn't it be? Because you can't really run a junk rat on streets for Hollywood and the top everything off. I don't really think it's a great area of the map for tanks to carry you either because of how spread out it is and all the options that your DPS and support players generally have there. So you're taking away the strength of Houston and their tanks historically and their junk rat play. 
and you're telling Jake now that he has to be consistent on non-Junkrat heroes where, don't get me wrong, Jake has great moments on non-Junkrat heroes, but it is not to the degree of consistency that he has it on Junkrat, so it makes Houston overall look more mortal. Period. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I agree with that, too. And, I mean, that, that was easily the match of the this, uh, last week. And, I mean, it went to 2-1, too, in the actual tiebreaker also. So it was as close as you could get. What was interesting about the Fusion is that they played Shadowburn that that match, right? And Instead of Echo. Yeah, right? and and he was having such a, a great run, Echo. I mean... Oh, we, I, we saw Shadowburn on Widow. Like, what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. In so, fairness, it I, worked out. Like, with, I know, it, it did. Yeah. Shadowburn beat Lynxer. That is why they won the tiebreaker. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the overall uh, the way the rest of it played out, they won the tiebreaker specifically because of that. So technically speaking, putting Shadowburn on Widow worked there. That's not normally a matchup I would give the Shadowburn. I think if you were to run it like you know 10 times, it would still be Lynxer at least 7 out of 10, at least from what we've seen from them historically. But in that moment, Shadowburn got the better of Lynxer. It led to Philly getting first control, and I need to plug in my laptop now, don't I? Uh, uh, <laughs> no, I mean I would I would give you that, but like if you if you're saying that you know nine out of ten times he would lose to it, then you know you kind of have to question it a little bit, right? I just I just thought it was very interesting because I I wasn't sure what was going on with Shadowburn, right? With Echo, um, is it Echo or is it EQ? I don't know why I keep saying EQ. Anyways, yeah, so I was surprised that they, they ended up playing Shadowburn just because they had been such a great run, you know, with with um, uh, EQO. And, um, you know, so they have a, this interesting problem right now. I mean, it's a great problem to have. They basically have two great Genji players on their team. And, you know, there's been rumors that, you know, EQO is going to get um, uh, traded, you know, and there was some release, you know, just this Korean right leak or whatever. Maybe going to Dallas, pretty interesting. Um, but that is, you know, I feel like they have two ex like extremely talented uh, Genjis right now, and they play differently too. I, I, I kind of feel like EQO kind of like brought the team together a bit more, you know, like while when Shadow sat those two weeks, and um, it's one of the reasons why I think they have such such a high momentum now shadow you know i don't know if it was because you know they i don't know he's just more experienced or whatnot and you're going against a tough team like the outlaws and they that's what this they, that's what they decided to do but um i just thought it was an interesting decision because he didn't even play at all right he didn't play a single match during that that uh uh, outlaws match so no i don't think so yeah no. single game uh, during it personally i don't i don't think having extra depth there is necessarily bad i get the gut feel of Holy crap! Uh, both you know these players are both so good that they could be a 100% starter on many other teams in the league. But having bench depth to a degree is important because people get sick, people need days off. There are matchup differences against teams that really haven't been explored by most organizations in figuring out maybe there's a style matchup where it makes more sense to run uh, a certain player over another after just running it against a team a variety of times. Uh, I mean, it's a good problem to have, if nothing else. It does give them a trade chip. Uh, the only problem with that, of course, is that the trade window uh, does not last forever. So if they were going to make a move, they'd have to make it soon. Actually, when does it close? Do you know? I want to say it closes in like... Like a week, right? It's pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think we're going to see a lot of moves. Of moves. Uh, like, I think all those leaked, you know, or those rumors, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they're all true. So like, we'll be seeing a bunch of them in, in the next few days, possibly. Um, 
But you know, the big question you know people are asking are okay, like who's better, EQO or Shadowburn? Just which Philadelphia Fusion team is better when when each of those guys are playing? I'm going Shadowburn still. I think he he's the most swaggered player of all time. You can just see swaggered. Yes. Yes, you know exactly what I mean. Don't pretend you don't. I mean, I, I understand entirely what you mean, but I'm still watching calling you out for just, using that word. Whoa. It's just exciting watching him play. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, there are definitely moments where you're, you you can say that I'm watching the best Genji in the world, right? Just the, the way he moves, the way he... There's something about watching Shadowburn at times that nobody else like controls that that hero like he does. Um, but you know, there's a there's a significant you know the most obvious thing is really just the number of alts both of them actually use, right? EQO uses, I mean, his alt rate is like ridiculous, and when he gets it, he uses it. So like, I mean, it's like very immediate. So, where Shadowburn has been definitely criticized for being overly patient with his uh, his blades. What if I told you, and I, I don't know if this is the case behind the scenes. This is simply theory crafting based on what we've seen from Shadowburn historically and what we are seeing now. What if having another really good Genji player on the team is insurance to a degree? Where one of the stories that I don't think was really told properly uh, by many people in the scene at the time, because people, uh, there is like fear in the analyst world of going against people with a fan base or going against like so-called common knowledge, but there was absolutely a point, uh, particularly uh, through a good part of 2017, where Shadowburn really was not playing at that high of a level. Yeah. Like there were mm -hmm. entire stretches of months where Shadowburn was playing pretty mediocre compared to what he had played in the past. And everyone's just like, ah, oh, Shadowburn, he's such a great Genji. It's like, eh. So Shadowburn <laughs> as a player definitely goes through periods where he's clearly grinding and playing really well. And he's in one of those periods right now where he's grinding and playing well. But you can't always count on that. One way to make sure a player continually keeps up a high standard is having the player sweat to a degree going, if I'm not playing well, there's this dude right here that can immediately take my job. The quarterback. So the, the <laughs> there is kind of a twist there of, you know, if you want to keep Shadowburn on the grind and make sure he stays at the high level that it's very well known he can perform at, just, uh, you know, have that little extra nudge there going, by the way, you know, this could always happen if you don't continue to grind. Just yeah, saying. I mean, of course that's good. But if you look at it from a, a front office standpoint, now all of a sudden you have like a valuable chip in your hand that you could go and sell to another team, right? And and you could make that kind of play too. So, um, you know, rumor has it they've already, or they're talking about doing it, or maybe they've already done it, you know, with EQO. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's just, you have to look at it from that standpoint too. You know, like having having that and you know, when they're when they're this good too, that's that's the tough part. I mean, we saw a little bit of it with you know Fisher and Gesture, but um, you know this is I think is a, another one. You know where we're, we'll be interesting to see what the decisions made here. Um, all right, so, I mean you didn't really answer that question. Though. So you, do you think Shadow? You take Shadowburn over EQO then CP? I mean, I think we've both seen both players have really good games right now. I think right now mm -hmm. it's probably more based on a matchup where I'd. I think you have to dive a little bit deeper into the strengths and weaknesses of each player relative to the team you're going up against and mm -hmm. make a judgment call, even up to the point of like a game day call on it. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think it's as simple as, yeah, this player is better. I, I just don't see that from what we've seen. Yeah, their so styles far. are different. There's there's no question about it. Um, 
but definitely Shadowburn style is flashier. I mean, seeing him get four or five man kills, I mean, that's always going to be super hype for everybody that, that loves him and loves the fusion, loves watching that. Okay, well, uh, let's see. Anything else about stage two? Let's see. This week, what, what's the big match this week in week three that we want to see here? It's, it's definitely interesting for uh, Ooh, Fuel this we week because they've, they've got two of the weaker opponents um, in, in the league this week. They've got Shock and Mayhem. So can can Dallas pick up two easy wins and pad their record and actually put themselves in the middle of the pack, or will they lose one of these games and like be solidly bottom of the pack? Who who you know? Uh, I, I think this when you're at the point fuels at right now, the easy games, uh, quote unquote, are actually the most stressful by far because for fuel, if you go up against an MYXL Solar London, you're just like, okay, obviously you're going to lose, and it's like there's no pressure. You go up against teams that are struggling, and it's just like, oh my god. I really need to win, even though these teams are not as good. So, uh, stressful week for the fuel, I would say. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about this last last uh, stage. Remember when they were going against? I think at the time it was like Boston, and was that the mayhem again? <laughs> I think it was something oh, like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, this this will be interesting. I expect them to. I mean, definitely expect them to beat. Well, I don't know. I guess shock and mayhem are about the same right now. At least from what I've seen of them, both of them, um, but Dallas is an interesting team too. Like I think they started out the stage, they ended stage one and started out stage two looking like refreshed and renewed. They got the new players and and things were starting to look good. And then they had a really like stinky match against uh, uh, who was it? It was I think it was the Valiant. Yeah, it was the Valiant that they just didn't look too good. And then the Dy Dynasty they looked actually okay, but of course you know Dynasty ended up beating them. But it was really the Valiant match that they just didn't look very good. They still look like they had some major issues. Uh, what do you take from this Dallas team? I even though he's played well in some of their matches, I'm like. I'm not convinced AKM was kind of the hole they needed to fill there. I think they'd probably be fine if they were still just running effect Rascal and you know got more options on the support and tank end uh, just to run just something different there. I mean, I, it clear whether it relates to uh, the game plans coming in, uh, the coordination between the players, where they do have a, on paper a very talented roster, right? Regardless of it, they're not really living up to that, and a huge part of that has been on the tank and support end. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really convinced that they made the right offseason move so far. Like you know, for example, you go to the rumored uh, so what pickup, right? I saw a lot of so what playing and contenders uh, tryouts and all the rest, and I can tell you that so what probably would have been yeah. very very I good think for so them. So would have been great for them actually. So I, I don't know. I, I just. Fuel has not fixed the issues that have plagued them since the beginning, particularly in terms of just, you know, their initiations, how their tanks and supports are working together. Uh, obviously, they have had issues to a degree of DPS at times as well, but it's still lesser than the more fundamental Overwatch issues they've been facing, and it doesn't really seem to be getting better anytime soon. Yeah, we by far their biggest issue is just lack of consistency. They're always every single match they're doing something completely different completely new putting someone on a hero that they rarely play switching things around like they're never going to be able to really grow if they're changing every single week so well, yeah so let's talk about that i mean kai kai you know obviously tweeted that he was getting a lot of shit right and he basically tweeted that some of this is in, in his control you know no specifics there but 
it was clear that there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, behind the scenes that, you know, him, even in the coach's role, um, you know, so, is having some issues. I mean, should he be getting some heat? Of course he should be getting some heat. He's the, he's the coach. I mean, that's, yeah, that's like any other sport. You're going to get a lot of crap. That's why it's a coaching hot seat, right? But what um, I would say here is objectively, mm-hmm. we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Yep. Uh, but what I will say is that in any traditional sport period, if you have a roster of talented players and they aren't performing, blame, rightly or wrongly, is always going to fall on the coach. That is how it works in the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, MLB for managers. It is how it will work in Overwatch. And if anything, uh, I would say the because uh, esports is still so personality-driven for the players, I would say the coaches actually get a lot less heat and overwatch than they do in any other traditional sport by a pretty wide margin so i mean look if you're a coach and you have a popular team and shit's on fire you are also going to be lit on fire that's just how the sports world works i mean that's it's part of the job you know it comes with the territory and you know, um, a lot of some of the situations, some you know, there's there's an issue with like GMs and coaches not agreeing, and you know, GMs getting players that coaches don't necessarily want, and they have to deal with. So this is commonplace. I mean, unfortunately, and uh, it sounds like you know, Kakai's in that situation, or at least the Dallas Fuels, and in, in a little bit of that situation. But right now, it's it's like looking at the roster. You know, we we have Taimu not playing at all this past week. And, you know, when he does play, he's playing like tank now, which is kind of interesting. It's definitely something to talk about. Um, But, you know, now with Rascal there, it's like, I don't think we're going to see Seagull much anymore, which, you know, kind of like, he's obviously an expensive person on your roster. So um, I I feel like the Dallas field is just, the way they're built right now is very, very interesting. And I'm not sure it's been working out for them so far. Well, the rumor is that they might pick up OGE who I don't personally know a lot about, but he was a main tank for Conbox. Mm-hmm. So that might be good. I suspect that, I mean, maybe what Kai Kai's alluding to is we'll see some trades, like some of their core roster getting traded away. Like, I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if it's something like that. Yeah, hopefully we, we will. I mean, they do have some, they have a lot of different people they could trade away and they, you know, that, that could be useful for other teams for, you know, whatever reason, actually even being able to start for them or even just from notoriety or whatever. So, um, yeah. So anyways, I, I think that, um, that, 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 that team's definitely going to be, um, making some changes soon. So we'll, we'll have to see. One thing I'll say too, and this is part of why, uh, I was one of the only people actually began the season to go, look, and not many people were willing to do this, but I remember uh, it was on Oversight where I went to Thorne and uh, Monty. I was just like, look, if there's a team that will has a chance to have a very significant downturn, it's Dallas. And this is back when everyone was just like, you know, Dallas top three for sure, best Western team, so on and so forth. And the reason is, and this goes more than just general sports theory, right, is that when you are on top for a really long period of time, it is difficult to maintain the same level of motivation going forward especially with the same group of people usually changes have to be made and you know when you had the scenario with the fuel where you've added in new people which messes with the core to a degree to begin with yeah. and then you have a core that's just you know been on top for a long time it's not the best really scenario to have hungry players where i don't think it's a shock that you have a new top tier of players that were the players that were never 
on top of the Overwatch world in terms of team success, but always in contention for being uh, known as top players mm -hmm. that are yeah. doing the best. Like you look at the Outlaws right now, you have players like uh, Cool Matt and Linkser that are essentially peaking at the right time. And a good degree of it is that for Linkser, he was never number one, uh, really, as far as Overwatch goes. I mean, maybe there was a one off tournament here and there that Creation might have won, but he was always on good teams in Overwatch. But it was only recently they sort of took the next step and went from, yeah, this guy's really good to, holy crap, he's one of the best in the league. Similar to a degree for Matt, where Matt did have a run with Envious in the very beginning of Overwatch, but he had to pay his dues on a bunch of particularly rough teams over the course of it, and that keeps you hungry. I don't yeah. think it's a good combination for a team, especially kind of in the lead-up to OWL, where you're doing well, you're winning most things. I mean, yeah, Envy did get roughed up to a degree in Apex, but relative to the rest of the Western teams, they weren't under that level of pressure, so... Mm -hmm. I think it's sort of a combination of like fairly rough circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Um, you well, know, oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say we only have a little bit of time left in the show, and <laughs> we wanted to cover some contenders stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're actually going to be able to, but we should probably move on. Yeah, we should probably touch <laughs> on it. Try. I mean, I mean, last bit is really just the you know the New York, New York Excelsior Nixle. They look super strong right now. I, I feel like they look like for sure the best team in the league right now and and they're obviously going to be the team to beat uh souls on the rise but um you know nixel i think just uh what they did to the outlaws and um you know what they've just been doing you know, even against boston just just stomping teams basically i would like to say one thing about contenders news here just because again i've gotten a chance to sort mm -hmm. of watch some of the stuff that's been going on uh, yeah, players just... have been pretty gracious about this uh obviously you have a whole bunch of academy teams announced that are backed and affiliated to a degree with uh, the different overwatch league teams uh obviously uh varying degrees where you have uh, teams outright named where you have like fusion university mam academy shock academy mm -hmm. or optic academy which very obviously is uh related to outlaws you think uh, one thing i'll note here is that a lot of these teams are good enough that you do have owl teams or at least the owlb teams scrimming them on a regular basis so at least in the NA side, uh, you could definitely look forward to fairly high levels of competition. A lot of these teams are going to be very good. Obviously, some perhaps a bit more so than others. But it will probably, if you think about how contenders will work into the future, and the fact that right now you have more OWL caliber level players that did not get into OWL the first time around because of just you know the imperfections you're going to have with uh, the first year, this is probably going to be the most competitive year that contenders will ever have in a sense, just because you do have so many OWL level players that are not in yet. Think of, if you think about contenders going into next year, it might not be quite as strong just because uh, you'll have more OWL teams that come up that will sort of drain a lot of the talent that you're going to see this year. And if you're curious to see, well, okay, who's going to be an OWL and coming into 2019, you should really should pay very close attention to, uh, contenders this year, especially uh, what's going on in NA, Korea, and to a degree uh, mm -hmm. where EU is, where there's also untapped talent in the EU. Yeah, yeah I think I think me and Ben were talking about just like seeing all these different contenders all over the world. It's going to be crazy in this next uh, a few months here. Yeah, I mean, how do we even go about talking about contenders? <laughs> I don't know. Down? How can you do predictions? There we, are we literally need correspondence, man. Eighty-five thousand teams. <laughs> what the hell? That's so, actually like I. What I really wanted to do in this show was like 
what are your like breakout teams? What are the, what teams are you watching? Like what teams do you think are your favorites for each contenders league? But there's so much to analyze that it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, and yeah, ZP nailed it. Some of these players are definitely OWL quality. You've got guys like Adam uh, for the XL2 rotter, roster, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mangachu on that team as well. I think they're going to be super strong. You know, Kaiser's playing on one of these teams. Um, some, some of the UK okay. players that didn't quite make the league, like uh, Mikey A and uh, Christoph- or Christopher, um, uh, you know, have found teams. And the, I think all of these players are potential OWL quality. So I'm really looking forward to day one of Contenders, which, by the way, starts on Sunday. So we're right around the corner from Contenders. Uh, but like, how do you even talk about Contenders right now? There's so much going on. Well, what's I just want to remind everybody, too, is that just because they're on one of these academy teams doesn't mean that they have to be on that team. So, I mean, I think other teams can still snipe them. Like, if they're on the Mayhem Academy... You know, Dallas could still snipe them, or they're still like basically buy them, you know, or or just give them a, a better offer than say the mayhem and pick them up, right? So, um, it's kind of interesting because that's not how it usually works. You know, if you get signed on a uh, a development or a minor league team, you're only, you only have rights to that that uh, major league team that that owns that farm, right? And unless you, you know, a lot of times when they're trading players you know some some of these minor league prospects will be traded because you know they they kind of foresee them eventually being in the pros but in the case of overwatch league it's not like that so um these teams are just you know kind of take them with a grain of salt you know like just for the time being they're they're helping you know promote these uh you know brands and these these teams but um you know in the long run who knows where they'll end up being um but, you know, one thing about the contenders is that they have all these teams. We have seven different broadcasts, too. I mean, this is going to be insane. And, and you know, like, it, it's going to be hard to follow it. Like, I don't... Is there a central place we can follow all of contenders? Like, website? I mean, they have a really good website. Okay, also, okay. I haven't really... Overwatchcontenders.com. Okay, cool. I haven't really... It looks just really... like the OWL website. It's actually really, really sleek, but... Yeah, uh, but... We, it's just, but let's see this. Let's OW, see this. Overwatch contenders get skinny. What? Yes, instead of Tracer. Oh, is that the deal? Oh, that's the deal. I see. Oh, okay. So it's green. Too. All right. Well, okay. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll ask yeah. ZP since since you have been watching so many games. Look at this. Look at this. this is crazy. Can you name some teams that you think like we should people should be watching right now, in particular? Offhand, uh, for sure, definitely. Uh, I mean, this also even relates back to what you saw in Beat Invitational. But Fusion University is very, very good. Uh, Optic Academy is looking pretty good. They just recently were able to all yep. boot camp in the States, so they don't have half their team playing on incredibly high ping. Because uh, they have the weird thing where, of course, uh, they have a fusion roster, uh, no pun intended, where they have multiple players from EU and Gray and Sharp, and then they have uh, multiple players from Korea in Smurf, Aid, and uh, you know the legend himself, Kaiser. So uh, they were not exactly working with the highest advantage when they are working uh, from online tournaments just because you had there's no way of getting good ping for european and korean players at the same time it's like just not gonna happen but i expect pretty good things from optic academy xl2 should be very good in general there's going to be a lot of cool storylines the other thing too is that if you look at the format of contenders uh, that's coming up right now particularly the groups that have been set up you are basically in a scenario where you're going to have playoff level matches very early on into contenders where 
the matches are going to be incredibly important because if you think about how playoffs are likely to be done, where uh, I don't think they've announced anything in regards to playoffs, but you just logically go, it's probably going to be the top two from each group, right? It's not each team plays every team. It is you play every team in your group, and uh, the groups are uh, teams of or groups of six. So bearing in mind that only two teams are likely to get out from each group, it basically forces playoff-level matches for almost every match because you have the dynamic of you need to beat the other strong team to secure your spot, but you also have the other dynamic. If you're a strong team and you lose to a weak team that you shouldn't lose to in week one, that could actually be enough for you not to make the playoffs. So the cool thing about contenders uh, this year for NA at the very least is that the stakes are going to be particularly high for the teams that are involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here's a question for you. Are we going to have too much Overwatch? <laughs> I mean, it's this, true. I mean, we're going to have a lot of matches going on. And even just on this show, following it, it's going to be like, what do we talk about? Do we literally spend every single week just talking about contenders and, and Overwatch League for the most part? Because there's going to be enough to talk about each and every week. So, so um, I, this is sort of the peak Overwatch zone, if you think about it, with the schedule of the year. Yeah. Obviously, Contenders is going to be going on all year long, so you will have a period of sort of break, right, where Overwatch League is done, and then you ha still have uh, two seasons of Contenders to go, and it'll be more of a relief area there where you'll be heading into that zone where Contenders will be the main thing for organized competitive play. So mm -hmm. it, this is sort of a period of, wow, you have a lot of Overwatch, but it does taper off to a more, okay, there's one major event uh, later in the year. Okay, I mean, at least they're not on the same days <laughs> as as Overwatch yeah. League. That's definitely a good thing. Uh, it is fun to think about. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, OWL, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Kender, Overwatch Esports, exactly. Never man. stop. <laughs> Remember the days when we had nothing? <laughs> now we have like one day off <laughs> every single other day. Uh, it's a great, it's definitely a good place to be in. So not complaining. It's awesome that all these players are supported, all these casters and everything are going to have, you know, some, just some things to do in our community. And it's awesome. It's definitely going to be great. Uh, okay. Well, um, I don't know. We got, so, we got time for maybe a couple questions. Anybody in the chat want to throw out some questions? We'll be sure to answer them. So uh, go ahead and type them out in Twitch chat and we'll try to get to them. Um, I, before the first question yeah. comes in, there's one talking point, which I wanted to bring up. Okay, sure. There's an elephant in the room, and her name is Diva. She is being picked at over 95%, or sorry, just under 95% right now. It's I, it's become so normal that we don't even talk about it anymore. But like, and it's and like people seem to be okay with it for some reason. Like, no one cares that Diva is like almost a must pick right now in OWL. But I don't know. That wasn't really a question, just kind of a statement. <laughs> Good diva, yeah, yeah, just I like mean, holy moly diva. To be honest, like they're wrong right now. Historically speaking, from an Overwatch standpoint and meta, um, you know, the dive meta has probably been the least complained about meta. You know, like dominating oh, yeah, meta. But like, we haven't even been complaining about. We've been complaining about mercy. We haven't been complaining about the fact that we've been literally playing the same meta for how many months now? Eight months, maybe a year. It could, it could almost even be a year now. So, um, yeah, Divas kind of falls in there, you know, nobody's really complaining about her because she's not, she doesn't feel OP, right? She just feels yeah. extremely necessary. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I'm not really complaining uh, for that reason. She doesn't feel abusive or unfun mm -hmm. to play with or against to me. But yeah, I think it's just worth calling out because I don't hear a lot of people talking about it. It's, yeah. it's amazing how many soldiers I see getting killed now. <laughs> it's like Divas all all over them on the matches that we, we saw this past week. Uh, okay, we do have a question. I, I do oh, think, uh, yep. I will note here at Diva. I think if she doesn't drop off because of buffs to other heroes or uh, perhaps just uh, you know new heroes being added, it is probably fairly likely she might end up getting nerfed again. I mean, uh, people aren't blind to all this, where it's like, hmm, Diva's being run all the time. It, it is interesting, though, because I, I don't think this is actually a factor in hero balancing, but anytime you touch Diva, it's like touching Mercy because that hero actually has like a ridiculous degree of cult fan base where it's just like, oh, you've ruined D.Va. It's time to set everything on fire. But uh, yeah, for D.Va, we'll see where things go. I, I don't. It doesn't really seem like she's on the radar to be hit right now, but I think you could make an argument that at the very least her burst damage is a little overtuned right now. I mean, I think just the D.Va players have gotten really good, too. I mean, just, just watching, like, Poco or watching, you know, obviously Matt all the time, but uh, I think we're just seeing some impressive D.Va play, too. Uh, let's see. Okay, we do have a couple questions here. Uh, looks like Voodoo Stream has uh, fishing. How likely would it be that a contenders team which wins, say, uh, NA gets an Overwatch League spot? Oh, as a team itself. Um, That's not going to happen, I don't think. Uh, at all. I mean, uh, Contenders is really the feeder league into OWL. Like mm -hmm. that—that's almost uh, how how Blizzard has pitched it in the past. Um, it, it's its own standalone league, but this is a proven ground for players to get noticed and, and signed by OWL teams. I don't think that means we're going to see entire teams get picked up, but you will see players. In fact, many, many, many players are going to come from Contenders next next OWL season. I can almost guarantee that you're going to see a lot of players dropped. Uh, current OWL players dropped, and a lot of players brought on, uh, particularly from Korea. I mean, there's just an infinite wealth of players from Korea out there uh, that are just going to make every OWL team probably better. So I don't think that we're going to see full teams get picked up, though. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, assuming you're talking about the idea is that not a team actually just like securing sponsorship, but more like, you know, for example, let's go to rumored cities, right? Where people would really like to see a franchise in Chicago or Seattle. Like if you had a franchise prop up there, would they pick up an entire contenders team? Maybe. I mean, the, it would depend I, on I don't how see. dominant that team was. But the other thing too is that the more dominant team is, the more that all the players are going to be getting offers from existing teams. So if you want to get a full team, that would likely be a fairly pricey endeavor. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we'd see where things end up going there, but uh, it's not impossible. I mean, it just depends on how will there be a team in contenders that kind of rises up to be way better than the rest? Not likely, but could happen. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think this first season of Overwatch League kind of already proves that that concept of picking up an entire team might not be isn't the the best model. I mean, the teams that we saw got that, that were picked up as a team and were supposedly going to have this advantage in the beginning of the league, at least, clearly didn't have the advantage at all. <laughs> like, we saw that 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 fall off. And, and we even see them in the Korean teams, too. Even even Seoul and having a drop-off, too, at the end. So uh, I think the proven model has been just, you know, picking your, your team without anybody, like, available. 
And I think that's the smartest thing. There's like so many players to pick from. Like, why would you just pick, you know, these, these six guys or these, these 10, whatever, you know, eight guys or whatever it is that's going to, uh, I forget how big the contender teams are. They're, are they just six man teams? Are they, how big are they again? They're like, tw- no, there's more than six for sure. That's all the roster. Definitely more than six. Yeah, it's like I'm not 10, sure that maybe 10 or something like that. Um, so, yes, that, by the way, I mean, yeah. I think even though it didn't work out for, mayhem and fuel i think those two teams that had unique circumstances around them fuel was just you had a core that had been together forever as we mentioned for uh, a while back where they did have that potential just kind of fall off for other reasons and mayhem wasn't doing well before owl where uh, you know, people went oh you know we're not even sure mayhem could win contenders it's like they didn't win contenders they went to contenders as misfits and had huge issues yeah. on land they were already in free fall before OWL yeah, and basically the, saved by a storm known as logics, right? Where, yeah, of course mayhem was going to have trouble if you pick them up as a full team for OWL yeah. because they weren't even doing well pre OWL. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, let's just look at the top team. team getting picked up. That was more of a pre-made team and doing well, probably would actually be outlaws, right? Where you pick up their entire tank and support core and then add in Linkster for good measure and add in Jake you got something pretty good there. So, I mean, you can pick up a seasoned core. It's just you have to bear in mind all the circumstances that are going around in it yeah. and make sure you're buying low uh, rather than buying high. Okay, we got some right. more questions here. Uh, actually, uh, let's see. I found a spicy one. <laughs> okay, let's find it. Let's find it. Oh, it's spicy. Doyle, Doyle Rules. A little bit of drama for, okay. Not really drama. Oh, Doyle Rules for Life asks, do you guys think the best contenders teams will be better than the worst OWL team? ZP, what do you think? That's a yes. That's a that's I I say yes. Okay, better than Shanghai. What about Mayhem? Yes. What about Shock? What about Shock? Honestly, yes. I think Shock's been okay. The the times of one, it's more like okay. Let's let's keep going. One versus better teams. I haven't really looked at Shock and been like, man, Shock's really good. I'm more like, wow, what just happened in this matchup? Uh, Shock. It's weird to say that they've been overperforming when they're in the bottom half of the league, but kind of feel like Shock has overperformed to an extent. So the idea that a contenders team could be better than Shock, not even really right. surprising. Keep going. What's on? What's next Keep on the going, list? Dallas. Fuel. Yeah, Dallas. I think that's where I draw my line. It, it, it would be fairly hard. The contenders would have to be really good because I'm going to expect Dallas to improve at least to some degree. But yeah. I'd probably be close to drawing the line there as well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's a good question, though. That's a good spicy one. Um, let's see. Ooh, let's see. Noda Bene asks, if Taimu and Coco were transferred to another team, wow, what teams would benefit the most from each of them? Oh, okay. So Tank and... Uh, Shanghai? I don't know. Tank and a Widow slash... Roadhog I would enjoy slash... watching Taimu try to communicate with people where he doesn't speak their language and just see like how Taimu would navigate that challenge. God. Okay. <laughs> I think honestly, I know there's a lot of Taimu detractors out there. I know that he hasn't been Ooh. as consistent as as he had been at one point in his career, but I think it's a real shame to not hit, have him playing uh hit scan. I I just I'll I'll just go out and say it. I think it I think it's a shame. So I think he should be in a position where he can play hitscan. It is, but Taimu also has a weird hero pool for hitscan where, of course, he has a very high level on heroes like McCree and Widow historically, but his uh, tracking aim is 
hardly good, really. I mean, he's never been able to whip out a consistently shut down soldier. He's never been able to yeah. whip out a consistently yeah. shut down tracer. So within the hit scan mold, it's weird. And then you have cases where he could play a really good Junkrat even before Junkrat was buffed, but he can't really play a good Genji despite putting in time on it historically. Uh, Taimu's biggest Achilles heel is just the fact that his hero pool is not consistent in the way that you would want to run someone for rolls and swap ups in a given game. And he was able to kind of ignore that facet of the game just because he was so overwhelmingly good relative to other people he was playing against at the time. But now that people have caught up on the whole, I, I do think the hero pool issue is pretty rough for Taimu in terms of his DPS play. Fair enough. So we didn't answer the question. I'll say the mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to tell you to be down here. <laughs> that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, um, all right, let's see. Any other questions here? Uh, oh, yeah, we got one from Chaos, right? So did can Garna not meet standards for contenders? Yeah, they didn't qualify. They failed to qualify. Yeah. It's as simple as that. That's simple right. question, right, didn't simple answer. The question. Did Kangarna not meet the standards for contenders? Not yeah. surprising. Kangarna was getting didn't... wasted in scrims for a long time. Like them not qualifying is, yeah, expected. No, okay. Well, all right. That's pretty, pretty tough. Okay. Um, I think that's it for questions. Thanks for uh, writing in those questions in chat. It's a lot of fun. A lot of good ones too. There's probably a few more that we didn't quite get to, but I'm gonna have to wrap things up. But uh, it's good doing the show again this week. Sorry about uh, delaying it so much, guys. I know we were you, a lot of you guys were expecting on Sunday, but. Um, ended up just getting uh, just crazy busy on Sunday, and I, I should have tweeted out a little earlier, so it was really my bad. Um, but I'm glad we were able to do it this week. But let's do some shout outs. CP, let's start. Brigitte, Brigitte. Uh, shout outs here. I will try and put some effort in it, but I mean, more just general Overwatch stuff, right? Like, uh, certainly Owl Stage 2 is very interesting right now. If for whatever reason you are tuning into the show and not checking it out, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> Definitely check out uh, Overwatch Contenders starting. Uh, this week on Sunday and Tuesday, where don't forget, it's not just NA, it's going to be a whole bunch of regions all at the same time. So uh, if you have a particular addiction to watching Overwatch, well, you can get it just about every day of the week. So good times for Overwatch, yeah. especially compared to a year ago, where I believe uh, we were just hitting the tail end of the Carbon series for NA, and that was actually the only thing going on uh, for the Western side of things. Yeah, it's good times. Uh I've actually been streaming recently. Uh, in fact, Team Twitch is playing an after-hours gaming league, and I've been streaming our matches every Saturday at noon Pacific time. So if you want to watch some kind of scrubby competitive play, then you can do that. We're, we're currently 2-0, and uh, we've won every scrim that we've played so far. So things are looking good for Team Twitch. I've, I think we're going to... I think we have a really good chance of going deep into the playoffs of After Hours Gaming League. So you can follow my channel at twitch.tv slash fishsticks. Who else is on your team? Um, shoot, I don't think anyone that you would know, really? Chris. Okay, right. uh, it's a lot of engineers. It's oh, like me. okay, okay. I'm trying yeah. to think if there's anyone you'd know. I don't think so. All right, um, all right. But we're looking pretty good. We're looking pretty good. Um, I won't be doing it this week because I'm traveling. I'm actually going to OWL on Saturday. I'll, oh, I'll be there. Nice. Um, nice. If you see me, say hi. I'll be at the the venue um, that's awesome. pretty much it yeah we've been having some cool people show up at at the overwatch league matches we had the 
uh, Jin Yang from uh, <laughs> Jin Yang, goddamn <laughs> Jin Yang, Silicon Valley. That was awesome, and obviously we had Xavier Wood, the, the previous one. So it's kind of cool. Just regale just... people with uh, you know great luxury boxes. That's how it works. <laughs> That's there. There's no luxury boxes right now. They're just sitting in the crowd right now, right? So are are they actually, actually are they are they actually the box? Are they actually up there? Or are they just coming down for those interviews? Maybe maybe it is. Who knows? Maybe I'm I, I would. I mean, I guess it would depend on who they know, right? There's yeah. definitely is a box for yeah yeah. yeah there's boxes. definitely a box for people, there. but yeah. true true. Um, I guess that's where you know it's like, are you a list or not? Like, you're just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, we can't actually invite you up to the box, but maybe give you a photo op. Like, was, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's how you know, like your career is like, oh man. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, just round things out. Give a shout out to you guys, of course, the two of you guys for doing the show this week. Everybody for showing up. I know it's late on you know tonight, and uh, you know we always appreciate it. You can find the show on uh, I. Uh, iTunes as well as Google Play if you have an Android device and if you enjoy the show leave us a five star review because it really helps out when people are trying to look for Overwatch podcasts you can find the VODs on youtube.com slash chamanv and any questions or any, anything for us go ahead and email us at the overview at chamanv.tv and oh big shout out to the um, Overwatch community team for sending out all the year of the dog uh, you know little gift gift uh what, you, what are they called? Gift packages things? I've been playing with this coin like nonstop since I've gotten it because I just I always need to fiddle with something in my hands. So this coin's been very, very useful, at least for today. Uh, but other than that, guys, uh, that's going to be it for this week. So for ZP, Fish Sticks, and myself, Cham Man V, we'll see you next week. 